This is the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast. What would it take for you to double your profits and half your stress with your intuition? Learn how with your host, Michael Light. Welcome back. I'm here with Elaine Nieberding, and uh, she has an amazing career and lifetime as gone from the medical field, now she has a coaching business, and has a lot of experience in applying intuition to her business. Welcome, Elaine. Hey there, Michael. And uh, I am greeting you from Bel Air, Maryland, USA, but I spell Maryland M-E-R-R-Y-L-A-N-D. Because it's Mary. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, I can see. I think we're going to have fun in this conversation. I think so. And I, I know that we're going to, as we talk, we're going to find out about your experience uh, in the laughter yoga movement and how that can be applied to business. And then uh, also your experience working many years help healing people in the medical area. Um, so, which, you know, I think a lot of those lessons can be applied back to business. So I think this is going to be very interesting. So how do you use intuition in, you know, creating a new business? The way I use intuition is honoring all of my capacities for knowing. Mm. I would say... The most common way people think they glean answers is from their mind, from their thought. And certainly we do go through processes of becoming aware. Oh, what's my problem? What's my challenge? And then opening up. I am, you know, I am looking for a solution, an answer. You know, and it could be the name of my business. Um, If one like me, is transitioning into a new form of business, it's, it's a myriad of questions. Um, what best expresses, expresses my heart and soul? And what's the best way that I can serve the world at this, you know, at this time in my life? And then we feel into that. Um, you know, where we are now is always... Uh, at the delivery point from everything that's come forward, our successes, what we thought of as successes or what we have deemed as failures. But if we come from a state of expanded awarenesses, we, I come to realize everything along that way has been a part of my beautiful journey has enriched me. And so I could say in my adult life, I've seen my expansion of using not just, again, my brain, my thinking to inform my decisions. I've seen a gradual expansion of, you know, my whole body awarenesses. What things catch my attention? What, um, what am I really curious about? And so now as I am forming questions about the evolution of my own business, if I just give myself a minute to be still and say, hmm, how can my curiosity 
inform me here. And if I let go of grasping, (laughs) grasping for the answer, but if I move into this place of trust where really the best answer is going to appear at the right time, then I can relax. And for me, uh, Michael, I, I, I have to say that actually, as I have gotten into that place of relaxing, the forms of my life and service have made, often have made dramatic um, changes and shifts because of a confluence of synchronicities that have happened. Mm. So, so you, you how's that for about, starters? That's great. So you talked about relaxing and trusting that your intuition will provide uh, the answers you need for the problems you have in your business. And I know a lot of people listening would love to be able to do that, but they're really not sure how to even take the first step to trusting their intuition. I think sometimes it's, um, it's helpful to have a guide. Um, the guide can take the form of a book. The guide can take a form of um, a friend or a mentor or a model that seems to, you know, uh, have deepened in that sense of trust. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, one of the times when my sense of intuition greatly expanded was when I was journeying through the practice of um, Yasui Reiki. Now, Reiki is is well known as a um, a healing modality, but in its deepest form, it really is a spiritual practice, and one where we're looking at ah, who am I, <laughs> and and what is the experience of um, energy that that gives me life and how can I be curious to feel into this life force energy that animates me and how can I experience a sense of connection with really everything about me and whoever I'm in relationship with um, in a new way in energetic forms Um, you know a a few minutes ago, I mentioned the um, key shifts in my life, <clears throat> in my adult life, that related to my work and service uh, happened with synchronicities that I could not have planned. And it was like this that Reiki blew into my life. Um, you know, I ended up uh, in Florida on a vacation uh, with reuniting with a, uh, a girlfriend from high school. And that reuniting happened because of a quirky circumstance my brother had. <laughs> Getting in touch with uh, this woman's husband in the quirkiest of ways. He hadn't been connecting to my friend or her husband in, in quite a long time. Mm. And... But when I was down uh, on a vacation with this friend, there happened to be other friends of mine from Maryland who were in the same area in Florida. 
at the same time that I happened to be. And so one of these friends said, hey, I just took this course learning about Reiki, you know, this relaxation, natural healing thing from Japan. And I'm looking to practice on people. And uh, so after we got together and were swimming, then I went up to this apartment and experienced Reiki for the first time. And um, I had a, I don't know, kind of a revelatory experience during um, during Reiki. And uh, there was a healing presence that spoke to me and basically uh, I very clearly knew that I was to become very curious about Reiki and bring this practice into my life. And I was energetically changed from that point on. And so within, it was basically six Six months, six to seven months, I was doing a lot of practice with this healing art, treating myself, um, extending this flow of energy. You know, I could say I would be in relationship with another, offer my hands, my physical presence, and uh, whoever I was with would then receive this energy. And it would go wherever within their body, mind, spirit complex to bring a blessing so that things would come into greater harmony and balance. Well, that, and that as sounds like a great ability to have, you know, in, in any business that you're running. The fact that just your presence inspires and shifts where people are. And so that early practice... Um, Reiki is often taught in three levels where you're having different kinds of understandings at each level of practice. Uh, at the second level of practice, that was when I, when I was conducting sessions, I would find myself experiencing imagery, colors, visual images, sometimes um, words to a song or a melody associated with a song. And at the end of a session, I would kind of ask my highest sense of wisdom, is it appropriate for me to share these experiences with, with my client? And most often I would say yes. But then I would always couch my descriptions with, oh, these were experiences I had uh, during my healing session work with you. Perhaps some of them will have meaning to you. And by gosh and by golly, I would be astounded at how many times the image that appeared to me really had relevance to the issue, a, a primary issue that was going on with the person that hadn't even been verbalized to me. Um, and, I, and I'll give you a little example. So I was doing a treatment on, on a woman, and at, at some point, my hands, maybe they were resting over her 
part or solar plexus. I don't exactly remember. But I, I saw this image of a jewelry box. And this was the style of jewelry box that was common when I was growing up um, in the 1960s. If you were a young woman, you might have a jewelry box when it opened up. And there was like a little ballerina that popped up. <laughs> and if you had twisted the little winder, it would it would twist around. So I had this image of this jewelry box like opening up. And here's a little ballerina twirling around. And I shared this image with the client. And she said, Elaine, that image is so poignant to me. And she recounted how when she was starting to enter puberty her body changed she was of italian descent and she had very dark hair but she she then started showing a lot more facial hair so she you know uh facial hair as well as like darker hair on her arms and somehow the way she was looking she perceived that you know when she was going to uh, dance classes she was not fitting the image of uh, the ballerina that somehow would fit or that would be accepted. Mm. And whether, however this reflection came back to her, it interrupted her progression and joy in being in relationship with her body in a meaningful, expressive way. Mm. And... So at this point, for the woman who I was, um, who was my client, this whole thing was a big awakening for her to come in ter- to come back to terms with. I really am a dancer, mm-hmm. and find her path back to self-expression self-love by allowing that expression to come alive again. So for me, once again, I saw the image, I shared it with her, I got validation. If I had gotten no response from her, I would have said, well, perhaps this image um, or these things that I, that came to me during this session will ring a bell with you at some later point in time. Mm. And at that point, I'm not attached to whether um, these gifts that I have received will have meaning for her or not. I just offer it to her as a gift. But because I was willing to share my experience, open my mouth, I got validation that what I was receiving had some meaning. And so I would actually say it was during that part of my life when I was beginning to practice Reiki that I really began trusting Mm. Things that came in other forms out of beyond, you know, ordinary thinking, mm-hmm. beyond my conditioned awarenesses. Mm. So what, what ways do you access your intuition? You mentioned you get images, you get feelings in your body. Are there other ways you receive your intuition? Uh, sometimes I'll notice things that catch my attention. So let's say I'm on a road trip, and while I'm on this road trip, I happen to just happen to see, uh, you know, signs that have the word um, 
horse on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they might be names of businesses or they might be horse images. And I just, I have an awareness. Horse, horse. Oh, here's horse again. <laughs> here's mm-hmm. horse again. So when, and, and that kind of thing has happened multiple times for me in my life. So then I just get curious, not grasping or pounding my fist on the desk. What in the hell does this mean? Instead, I ask, hmm, I keep seeing this. So what meaning could that impart to me? Um, And then, you know, I might journal or something, just noticing what ideas come to mind. Ah, well, I haven't actually had too many experiences around riding horses myself. I've seen them. But um, when I think of horses, I might think of, wow, they have a lot of, they have a lot of power. Um, they often run races, or humans will have them to run races. Uh, in earlier times, they were a primary form of... Uh, transportation for humans and other things. So I might examine things like that and then have one idea register with me. Mm. And then somehow, again, just get curious. Um, How is this image helping me to like claim my own power? Mm -hmm. Or maybe get curious and say, hmm, this um, this um, symbolism of horse is really empowering me now to like, okay, like get started with a gentle trot, you know, but hold on to the reins, you know, if it starts going really fast. Mm. So that's an example. Well, that's a great thing to be aware of in our life and our business, to look out for symbols that just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, to us, or, or animals or birds that we see in nature are another way to receive that information. So uh, I know I certainly get a lot of symbolism from the animal world. Um, so I know when we were talking earlier that you you mentioned that when you were in the nursing field, you, you used your intuition and your consciousness um, to improve how you, you help people in that work. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that. Um, What I would like to share is that I went into nursing in my early 50s. And this was after I had been a practitioner and teacher of this healing art, Reiki. And uh, so it it was because of dramatic experiences I had offering Reiki and guided imagery to um, a family member who was dying of cancer. Mm. Uh, I had such vivid experiences. It then, it then prompted me to uh, thinking, Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, do I, uh, is there something I, I, do I want to go back to school? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit in this story because it, it also re- relates to intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I had had this Reiki practice. I was successful enough uh, working out of, you know, Lent workspaces uh, to lease an office, beautiful little office in, in my town of Bel Air, Maryland. And yet I was in my early 50s. I was going through um, hormonal changes associated with, with menopause. And here I was in this new space. Um, I had gone back and forth to North Carolina to assist my, uh, you know, this family member with uh, a health crisis. And when I got back to this space, this beautiful space, I went into this space and I felt like, it's too small. Mm. There are things going on in my body, and it's like, I know this space is beautiful logically. This is perfect for my business. But with what's going on in my body, I feel like I need to be physically moving or something. Mm. And that's when this idea of nursing came to me. I thought, you know, I love variety. I love helping people. And given what's going on biochemically with me during these hormonal changes, actually, I think um, something with a lot of structure would be good for me now because my brain was feeling crazy, even though I knew how to practice Reiki. And so I thought maybe I should go back to school. When I brought it up with my husband, who was very much the logical, linear, scientific, practical, grounded guy. And he's hearing me mention go back to, going back to school for nursing. He's thinking, ah, nurses, trusted, ah, nurses, income, like more income. <laughs> so he validated the idea. And then, uh, and then on the day when I started investigating um, what, you know, what schools were in my area. Would I want to go back for an associate's degree in nursing or for another bachelor's degree? And so I, I was beginning to get clear on that as I did a little research. And then I opened up. I was led to go look for a box that I kept old report cards and transcripts in. Uh-huh. So there I was, you know, I was fouling my sense of flow and timing and intuition. And as I opened this box, lo and behold, I experienced what looked like a miracle to me. There was a lone picture in this box full of papers and transcripts and things like that. And it was a picture of me at age five holding the hand of my great aunt Theda, who I was meeting for the first time. And she was a nurse and a missionary. Mm-hmm. And my jaw dropped. And I was like, I have no idea how this picture got in this box, but this is my confirmation mm-hmm. for proceeding with nursing. And so then, you know, I was in school for a couple years and and I had challenges. It was not easy. But when I came out, I really knew that uh, this was going to be 
a place for great learning and great gifting of myself. After a year of bedside nursing, I ended up in a Catholic hospital uh, where I then felt at home because of the institutional vision and mission. And they actually used the words in it about being a healing presence. And I said, oh, my God, I'm really in the right place. They're using these words. And, and as I share this, you know, I, I encourage people as, as they are creating their own business visions and missions, they are very powerful for drawing in um, the right people to connect with, the right people to hire. Um, they will align with, ultimately, you know, what your business is about and who, who you're serving. Uh-huh. But nonetheless, um, here it was, this thing about being a healing presence. And I said, ah, I've landed at the right place. And then I did go to work in oncology, which, um, you know, is all about cancer care. And I thought, you know, this is where my strength is, really helping people with the spiritual, emotional, and mental dynamics that often emerge when people are, they're basically looking at their own sense of mortality, uh, often in a new way when they're confronted with a cancer diagnosis and journey. And so at the same hospital, um, while I was there, I, I got a board certification in holistic nursing, which was no easy task. So I then gained a credential. And because I had this credential, I was then invited to participate on a, a, a committee in the hospital that was um, whose vision was to to gain for the hospital an excellence in nursing status, earning magnet status. So I was invited to be on this committee to help communicate to the nursing staff what the the nursing practice committee had decided was the nursing practice model that most aligned with this institutional vision mission of, you know, people fully experiencing um, being comforted, being cared, and met right where they are. Mm. And that staff would be, you know, bringing forth to their own leading edge, their own sense of a healing presence. Well, the nursing practice model, which was identified uh, by our nursing practice committee, was the model of this woman who I will call a nurse luminary. Her name is Jean, Dr. Jean Watson. And she put, over a body of work of over 30 years, developed this thing called caring science. And, it's, and at its foundation was... Um, how we experience relationship. And she actually called it transpersonal caring relationship. So as I'm getting familiar with Jean Watson's nursing practice model, I'm thinking, oh my God, 
this is such an awake woman. <laughs> and this hospital has chosen this very awakened model for nursing practice. And here I am, I get to be a teacher, you know, of this. Mm. And it basically suggests when you walk through the doorway to care for a patient, the thing you need to remember as you walk through this door is you have this core of you, your core of love, your core of goodness, whether you want to call it spirit, your divine self, your highest sense of wisdom, whatever you want to call it or name it. If you remember that walking through the door, that that is your highest sense of identity and that beyond the name, the diagnosis, and, you know, all of the obvious physical manifestations of toil and trouble going on with the patient. If you remember that stuff of you, that spirit stuff of you, soul stuff of you, wisdom stuff of you, is within that patient too. If you remember that, when you walk through that door, you'll be empowered to say the right thing, know what to do, know how to position yourself without thinking everything through. Because you'll be making a connection at the most important level. So, and so gonna, let's just th- paraphrase that because I think this applies yeah. not just to nursing. I think this applies to all business situations. If you're hiring someone, if you're having a sales meeting, you know, being connected to your spirit self, connected to the light, as I would call it, and seeing that other people are connected to the light and then using that to just intuitively do the right thing instead of having to think through every detail is a very powerful way of being in business. It, it does. It, 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 it is the way to be in, in all relationships. Um, now, I happen to be a longtime student of, you know, a, a spiritual text called A Course in Miracles. And it's, it, it's the same idea. It's like seeing the other as yourself um, being genuinely curious to be of service, to be a healing presence, kind of asking, you know, how um, how can I truly be helpful here? Mm-hmm. And if you put yourself in that position and and trust in this sense of flow of information, it's um, as you are the deliverer of services, goods, information, the truth is there you're always being blessed with feedback, with exchange in the form of money, information, um, awarenesses that come to you. I, are you able to hear me okay? I'm just noticing a little bit of... Um, yeah, I can hear you. Uh, fine. Energetic. Let me. Uh, okay. Let's just restart. Okay. <laughs> so that's an amazing insight that seeing your spirit self and the the people you're working with in business, seeing that they are 
they are their spiritual selves too. And then that leaves everything just flowing so much better in all the interactions and relating that we do in business. And actually, that leads to the whole idea of um, being emotionally intelligent. Because if you're grounded in that awareness, truth, um, you're much more likely to hear the questions, the responses, um, the needs being made known by, you know, your client, your, your prospective employee, uh, from a place of defenselessness rather than defendedness or, or from a place that says, oh, my God, I better say the right thing, you know, to meet with their approval. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you're when you're operating from that place, you're kind of saying everything that I need, it, it, it's a place of abundance. It's like everything that I need is going to be. Um, I'm going to be able to access it at the right time, whether it's words, whether it's monetary resources, whether it's the right uh, employee. And when we stop being in that place of scarcity, you know, it's like stuff tends to show up like the right people at the right time. And so... um, yeah, that connecting with those other environments, groups, uh, individuals from this place of the holy greeting the holy or the whole greeting the whole, uh, then interactions tend to flow much easier and one can experience them without the angst that might otherwise be present. So cultivating that consciousness is um, is a good thing to do. It is a great thing to do. I mean, I talk about it as connecting to the light, both myself and other people in my business. And it's so simple, and yet it, it's very profound, and it totally changes how I am in my business and how my business succeeds. So I know... And- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, you, you mentioned you were pretty deeply involved in the laughter movement, movement I can't even say it, laughter yoga movement. And uh, you had, in fact, a whole <laughs> show running, the Holy Shift show. And I'm kind of curious, how, you know, from, from your involvement in that, how important is laughter in business? Uh laughter and being able to look at any circumstance or condition with fresh vision is is a very very helpful thing to do now laughter yoga for those who may have not heard about this practice it's actually it's like an intentional health and wellness practice where one decides to engage with laughter without using jokes, humor, or comedy. Now, when you think about it, young children often laugh freely, spontaneously. In fact, we know that babies, if you're around a, a little baby, 
little baby will start laughing naturally around two to three months old. Think about it. They're not laughing because they get jokes. <laughs> they are laughing from the joy of being alive. And typically as we, you know, as we grow up in our human life, we're then exposed to more and more cultural conditioning where then it says, oh, well, this is funny or that is funny or laugh at this, but don't laugh at that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you might be in certain environments. Oh, it's not appropriate to laugh there. So in laughter yoga, we laugh on purpose, intentionally, because the act of laughter both makes for social connection and it physiologically changes our body, which is amazing. How does it change so, our body, Elaine? Um, if you... If you are exposed to laughter yoga uh, on a video in a conference setting, there are actually teachers and leaders of laughter yoga that actually go into business settings now and lead laughter exercises with work teams or at conferences to help shift people out of their rigid ways of doing things and relating things to, you know, uh, and relating to each other. So, um, for example, mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. Well, it, it sounds like it opens people up to more creativity, to be lighter hearted, um, and just to see new possibilities and, and also just not to take themselves so seriously. Um, that's it. And sometimes in the in the business arena, we do we find um, our work demands, the schedules, um, <laughs> the money flow issues we have, uh, getting us worried. And it is especially when we do find ourselves getting stressed that making a decision to employ some uh, intentional laughter can be really helpful for shifting the body chemistry. So let's say. You know, you've seen laughter yoga on a YouTube video or you've been to, a, you know, a session where a laughter yoga leader came in. You kind of see how it goes. By the way, it's called laughter yoga because these playful laughter exercises are interwoven with pranayama. That's the yoga part, which is just deep breathing. Mm. So if I was doing... Um, <coughs> If I was doing a, a laughter exercise just called uh, a greeting laughter in Hawaiian, it might be aloha. So I might raise my arms, alo, and then I, I take a deep breath in, I raise my arms, and then on the exhale, I'm going to go ha, aloha, ha, 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 Hello. <laughs> and I've then fully oxygenated my body. And it tends to go when into a laughter, for want of a better word, a laughter fit, where you just can't control it anymore and you just have to laugh and let out the tension. Well, uh, yeah. What 
when people are in laughter yoga uh, in a setting where someone is doing laughter yoga, they often think, laughing on purpose, I don't get this. And so a laughter yoga leader will even say, look, just fake it till you'll make it. Because when you start engaging the diaphragm with the laughter and refreshing yourself with full oxygenation into your lungs, um, you start feeling better. Plus, in the same way that if you see someone yawning and then you start yawning, there are mirror neurons in the body that kind of trigger that happening. The same thing actually happens with laughter. When you start hearing laughter, it actually stimulates things within your body, which will make it easier to laugh and to sustain your laughing. So, again, it doesn't require a joke (laughs) to laugh. And we can gain these benefits. If we're laughing for, say, eight or ten minutes, kind of sustain doing some of these different funny little exercises, then the chemical processes, uh, the hormonal changes start happening, which include stimulating our uh, immune system to work more effectively, stopping the production of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So like start doing some laughter yoga when you're stressed, it will shift the production of cortisol and you will start feeling better. So Um, this will mean you're healthier, but it also mean you'll be able to be clearer and come up with better solutions for whatever business problem you're facing. And if you're doing this with the work team and uh, after they see a couple uh, laughter yoga exercises that that the laughter yoga leader leads, it might be, ah, we're drinking a laughter milkshake. Ah, we're doing laughter greeting. Then the laughter yoga teacher might say, okay, Give, you know, just throw out a word or a topic and we'll make a laughter exercise about it. So then they might. And so one might be uh, my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you might just hold your your, uh, left hand out and with your right hand um, have an imaginary pen. And as you write out your to-do list, oh, my God keep thinking of how many things are on this to-do list, but every time one comes to mind, you're just going to laugh. So you're Mm -hmm. deep breathing. (laughs) And then, oh, there's that one too. (laughs) And I wonder how many things I'm going to get done today. (laughs) so-and-so is likely to interrupt me. (laughs) Well, okay. So you bring up another topic and another topic and another topic. And within your work team, and everybody often recognizes the kind of things that they struggle with, Mm -hmm. you can come to recognize. You know what? Let me breathe, smile, laugh, and kind of shifting into the 
thought or intention. Mm-hmm. We'll get through this. We'll get through this too. And maybe we can even be creative about it as we're less stressed. Mm-hmm. We've done something acknowledging, hey, um, I am stressed, but let me la- let me bring laughter to it, not laugh at it, but mm-hmm. bring laughter to it, shift my body chemistry, and if I'm doing this in a group, well then, you know, that healing shift can be there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And opening up to bringing more play, creativity, um, you know, in, in the workspace. I think that's an amazing insight to bring laughter to work and to use it to release stress. But also, you know, I imagine after laughing at our to-do lists for the team, we probably get a a bunch more done, you know, more effectively. Well, and, and maybe as you've done that, you've set the intention. Yeah. And align with that intention. I could get through this day with more fun, joy, creativity. Well, and wouldn't and, that be and, a wouldn't that be a great way to, you know, start the day? It, it's it like it's those conscious intentions and decisions. Well, and and how I would put that is what would it take to have these tasks go with joy and creativity and success? So and put it in the form of a question. Uh, put the intention into a what would it take question uh, and see what inspiration I get from that. So for your listeners who are listening, if they do a Google search for, um, you know, laughter, yoga, leaders for business, just type that in Google. And, and, and there are some people who that is their professional specialty. Mm-hmm. And they go out to work sites or they do workshops, you know, in the work site setting or they, um, you know, they're invited to be a part of a, you know, a professional uh, business association or professional association group mm-hmm. or conference. So that's that's uh, one way that people can experience it. And um, then. There are other individuals that uh, produce lots of indiv- even individual use uh, YouTube videos to learn and experience the practice. So there's a lot out there that, that is even free, as well as what are called public laughter clubs. And that's what I started doing when uh, I started on in this practice in 2011. Mm. So... I just want to cover one other thing before we wrap up this uh, okay. interview and discussion. Um, you mentioned some work you did um, with Danielle Laporte and how you're using this currently to help people attain their goals uh, and to enjoy the journey that they have in their business goals. And I thought that was very interesting. I, I'd love to share that. Sure. Well, in in 2013, as I was winding up what I was going to what I knew was going to be the period of uh, my active service and bedside nursing, um, 
and I knew I was heading in a, into an entrepreneurial health and wellness arena, I heard about this thing called Google Hangouts. And I thought, ah, Google Hangouts, mm, getting to have a platform where I could share things that I'm excited about with the world. Hmm. That sounds like something I would like to do because I'd already had some experience in performance in a variety of ways, but also public speaking and teaching Reiki and, and other health and wellness things. So I learned how to do Google Hangouts. And one of my instructors uh, invited me to participate on a Google Hangout that was featuring the New York Times bestselling author, Danielle Laporte. She was getting ready to publish a new book called The Desire Map. And she already had a large following of readers and uh, people who really appreciated the type of uh, inspirational, helpful information she was sharing. So there were apparently 500 people that had come forth saying, uh, responding to an invitation she had made saying, I'd like for there to be book clubs um, uh, where people can get together and share the, the, the gems of wisdom <laughs> in this new book called The Desire Map. And basically, what the book was about was helping each individual person discover the feeling states that they would most likely to be in. Mm -hmm. And a quote of hers that I share often is, the journey has to feel the way you want the destination to feel. Now that sounds so, very important. Let's just hear that again. That the journey has to feel the way you want the destination to feel. So I think now, so many business people don't do that. They have these dreams. They have this goal. They think they're going to feel on top of the world when they're making a certain amount of money or they've won a certain big client or they've assembled the, you know, the certain star team of uh, employees or whatever their goal is. And yet, while they're spending all those days and months reaching that goal, they don't feel great. They imagine they're going to feel super wonderful when they've got to that goal, when they're earning a million dollars or 10 million or whatever their goal is. But they don't feel the same way during the journey. So you're saying it's important we feel that same way in the journey. I'm saying we can make that choice. Um to do that it is there are a lot of coaches and systems out there encouraging people to get a clear vision you know for what it is they they want to achieve you know creating this company completing this project serving a particular population in a way so a helpful coach might help someone envision that and feel that and, you know, what would you be thinking at that place? What would you be feeling? What would you be doing? Hmm. How would you be standing, you know, at that place of success or achievement? 
And if you really notice the feeling states at that place of achievement, and if you do this exercise and and have an intention to remember that feeling or those sets of feelings, then Danielle Laporte would say, why wait <laughs> till the achievement of the goal to have those feelings? Decide when you get up every morning, that's my that's the vibe I want to be in. That is the vibe I want to bless the world with today. And as, and as I choose to allow those feeling states or cultivate those feeling states, actually, that, I believe, is what collapses time in this, you could call it an achievement journey or a result journey of seeing something, you know, you might say come into form in a physical way. But why not make the choice to be in joy now anyway, to be in a state, uh, you know, of abundance consciousness now anyway, to feel um, in a state of gratitude or inspiration or focus or, you know, whatever it is, whatever that feeling state would be, you can claim those. And then like anything else, just say, oh, well, this is a choice to make this my practice. And that way, you'll likely begin to feel I am giving as much blessing to the world right now, even before the business is launched, <laughs> the dollar goal is met, and I'll be I will be enjoying my fulfillment all along the way. I won't be delaying it. That's the essence of what she's saying with... The journey has to feel the way that you want the destination to feel. So I think that's very powerful for several reasons. Firstly, I'd much rather feel wonderful throughout the journey than feeling like it's a struggle and I'm suffering to reach the goal. You know, why not be celebrating throughout the journey? Secondly, I love how you're saying that collapses time on this and I'm just feeling this creates the goal faster by getting into that end goal state during the journey. And thirdly, it just helps enroll other people in the journey. Often in business, it's not just us on our own creating the goal. We have a team of people. We've enrolled clients in it. We may be enrolling people in the press uh, or bloggers or whatever in the journey. And the more we can vibrate with the energy of the goal achieved, the easier it is to enroll other people into whatever our journey is and the goal is. Bingo. That is it. That is it. So I'm guessing that some people listening are like, well, that sounds great, Michael and Elaine, but I'm really not feeling quite so wonderful about my goal right now. What? How can I feel that exhilaration I get when I achieve my goal? How can I feel that right now today? It then takes the willingness to love yourself right where you are. Maybe you're feeling like, oh, man, I just experienced a failure. Something didn't at all go the way that I wanted. This thing isn't moving forward very fast. If we're wise and curious, we can look upon any 
challenge or failure point and, you know, and realize it. It helped us course correct. That's all. It helped us course correct. It gave us an opportunity to try something else. And so failures or delays are only failures or delays as long as we frame them that way and see that there isn't, you know, uh, something valuable going on anyway. So we're called to love ourselves right where we are. If we're having um, feelings of challenge or pain or resistance, I truly believe that if we're willing to, I would even call it befriend those aspects of our being, we'll shift into this place where things then to flow easier. I truly believe that love is the greatest healer. In the coaching work of mine, which is now emerging and getting ready to launch, it's exactly those kinds of processes. Helping people envision and feel into, in their whole body, you know, all these aspects of what the goal achievement or success would feel like. See where they are. Um, make the choice when they're ready you know, to embody those more helpful, expansive feelings, but also bring love, bring love and meet those feelings of resistance and challenge and even pain that's been um, long stomped down. And when we do that, it's amazing how that willingness to just greet uh, everything can help us flow forward and indeed, no matter what we're doing, uh, be a healing presence in the world. I think that's why we're on the planet today. I think that's why we actually have in our political arena, in our ecological arena, so many things showing up that look like they're falling apart, they're distressed, they're negative. And so we're called to ask ourselves, how can I be helpful here? How can I bring a healing presence? And how can I stand in my deepest place of truth so that I don't feel like I have to be reactive? I can stand in that highest place of wisdom, safety, and as some spiritual traditions even call a place of defenselessness um, because we truly can be receiving everything we think we need. We simply have to um, stay curious and let it in so we can extend that love, that assistance, that good stuff. I think that is a very good way to be in our businesses every day, um, both for ourselves and for all the people we work with. What an inspirational leader we can be when we do that. So for myself, Michael, you know, I'm launching a new coaching practice. 
but I will be paying attention um, to see how that expands to serving groups, to see whether fresh opportunities emerge for me um, to speak in other arenas. I mean, I have I have a lot of things in my skill set, but you know, I know that for where I am right now, I, I have a sense that for the next couple months, year, it's kind of going to look like this one-on-one coaching. But as I stand in this place of safety, uh, in this rather dramatic world, the truth is. I don't know what form I will be called to serve in. And one of the things that I really have owned is the form of my, I don't really have to stay attached to the form my service emerges in. I trust that it will always be emerging in the perfect form. And it may well shift from one form to another. Um, and if if I am willing to stay in a, in a place of, I'll call it abundance consciousness rather than scarcity consciousness, um, then I'll always be at the right place in the right time delivering something of value. Mm. Helpful. That is so inspiring. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today, Elaine, and uh, you know. You've shared so many interesting insights. I thank you. Um, I enjoyed the experience as well. And uh, look forward to other conversations with you uh, as well in a variety of places and forums. Get strategies and show notes at intuitiveleadershipmastery.com. What would it take to see you here next time on the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast?